Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that through uh, this morning's uh, chapters, you may remind us and refresh us that you are a holy God in control of all things. And we pray that as we recognise that we are not, we thank you that you have shown us mercy in the person of Jesus, that we might boldly approach your throne of grace in our time of need. Amen. Uh, I want to provoke you this morning. I want to say to you, my dog is bigger than your dog. Uh, You may look at that, that's Cody. You may think that is not a big dog, what are you talking about? The important thing is that Cody thinks he's a big dog. He acts like a big dog. He bullies other big dogs. And so I'm able to say, my dog is bigger than your dog. Or maybe I can say, my car is bigger than your car which again, I've got a credibility gap with an i20 1.4 litre engine. But it's in the head of the driver, isn't it? And uh, as I rip around the back streets of Warunga, I want to say my car is bigger than your car. Or for the sports fans in the crowd, I want to say my team is bigger than your team. My guns are bigger than your guns. And I'm, I'm willing to put that to an arm wrestle I might start with Iona and see how I go, you know. You've got to have a few sure victories there. I want to say... Oh, sorry, Iona. Please don't leave church because of my rudeness. Uh, I want to say, my God is bigger than your God. And I want to take you to that space because that's what the Philistines were thinking at the end of chapter 4. Uh, they'd had an vi- unexpected victory on one hand. They had chosen to defy Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. And uh, if you've been with us in these last few weeks, chapter 4 ends, Israel go into battle with the ark. The Philistines are afraid of the ark. The Philistines still choose to fight against the ark and they win And the last thing we saw last week was that the glory of the Lord had left. So from the point of view of the Philistines, they were thinking, our God is bigger than your God. Our God, Dagon, has given us victory. So this morning, uh, in these two chapters that we're going to put together, there's lots of interesting things in them. I just want to highlight a few things for us. In chapter 5, we see that the ark conquers the Philistines all on its own, without human help. And in chapter 6, as we've already heard, uh, the ark returns to Israel. And as a symbol of God's presence, it's a reminder that the glory of the Lord has returned. And the real question of these two chapters is this, you'll see it in uh, chapter 6, verse 20. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? It's the question for the Philistines, it's the question for the Israelites, and it's the question for us as well. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? Uh, Israel were taught a difficult lesson in the way that they responded to the Lord. And God brought his judgment on Eli and his sons. For Israel, there's a bit of a crisis of faith here. 
The Ark of the Covenant has been taken away. Has Yahweh left them? Is Yahweh too weak? Are the gods of the Philistines too powerful? Who is in control? And so these next two chapters really answer that question. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Well, I want to come with you so that you might see that Yahweh is bigger than Dagon. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Now, Philistia was a network of uh, walled cities where there were five major walled cities and that became the area of the Philistines. They're mentioned really early in the Bible about Genesis chapter 10, or at least their descendants. They were seafaring people that settled on that uh, lower west coast of the Mediterranean uh, that today we call the Gaza Strip and in that kind of space. The Philistines had captured the ark, brought it into the Philistine territory and put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple at Ashdod. Uh, It was the temple of Dagon and that was meant to be saying, our God is bigger than your God, we have had victory over you. It's like the Perth Yacht Club receiving the America's Cup for the first time when they won it. It's like the ashes coming back to the MCG. It's the Ark of the Covenant which says uh, for the Philistines to say, we had a great victory, our God is bigger than your God. Which all makes much sense in the ancient uh, religious uh, superstitious world of the ancient Near East. As they carried the ark into Dagon's temple, uh, they were thinking, we've won, we've got the victory, until we hit verse 3. Did you notice verse 3? It's curious. There's lots of curious things in these two chapters. But uh, we read this. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. So a statue of their fish god Dagon had fallen over in front of the ark and they went oh they put him back you'll notice that Dagon is not powerful enough to put himself back into position the action continues the next day in verse 4 the following morning they rose and there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord his head and his hands had been broken off they were lying on the fresh threshold and only his body remained Here was an unexpected victory that the Lord says, I am in control and you are not. Dagon, headless and armless, had been knocked over in the power of the Lord to show his victory over them. Now we know that the statue symbolised gods that were no gods at all. Dagon was the great fish god of uh, the Philistine uh, pantheon of gods uh, he was the god of weather and fertility and in a way that was unexpected the lord says he is not god i am and then uh, the lord followed up the jump judgment and the justice on the people of ashdod 
uh, it says, the Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod and in its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumours. So a disease, a bubonic plague had broken out in this city. And uh, though the Ark of the Covenant was just a symbol of the presence and power of the Lord, uh, God brought an unexpected victory. And really it says Yahweh is bigger than Dagon. Without human help, God brings justice to this city of the people who had opposed him. Uh, And then what we notice in the rest of chapter 5 is that there's a series of other things going on. The people of Ashdod said, the Lord's hand is against us. The, The ark of the Lord must not stay with us. And because his hand is heavy upon us, and against our god Dagon. They called all the rulers of the Philistines together, the five lords of the five cities of Philistia, and said, what are we going to do? And they uh, resolved to move the ark from one city to the other. And I think what we're meant to see in these next chapter and a half, that the ark gets moved around and everywhere it went, it causes uh, a breakout and the justice of God uh, bringing death and affliction. Uh, in chapter 8 and 9, we see it's moved to Gath. And again, the Lord's hand was heavy against Gath. In chapter 10, it was moved, uh, they moved it to Ekron. And again, the, the hand of the Lord was heavy. They have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Fear has overtaken their defiance of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And when we see in chapter 6, we're meant to see that for seven months, they moved the ark around and wherever it went, it caused affliction and destruction. And so the chapter finishes, those who did not die were afflicted with tumours and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. The Lord is greater than Dagon. Yahweh has brought victory on his own to remind the Philistines that he is the Lord and there is no other. So we can come back to our question, who will stand in the presence of the Lord and this holy God? The first part of our answer is here. The Philistines will not. Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashdod and Ekrod and Gath, get out your maps and see that they're all in a little cluster down in the south coastal side uh, on the plains. And in chapter 6, we get a summary. When the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territories for seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. And so we see that the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, is the one who is in control and the one, is the one who has power. And as he has control then and there in these times of Samuel, he continues to be powerful and have control here and now with us, even when we think that life in our planet at the moment seems a little crazy. Well, the second part 
of that we want to look at is chapter 6 where we see the ark returns to Israel. The cycle of tumours and pestilence brought the Philistines to their knees without any human intervention. Yahweh, without an army, wrought a great victory over the Philistines. And the God of the Philistines is left headless, legless, armless, exposed that there is no God but the God of Israel. What shall we do? The leaders asked the wise men of the Philistines. Tell us how we can send it back. If we had more time, there's some interesting insights into what faith in the ancient world looks like here that uh, each of the nations and peoples had their own gods and their own ways. And the wise men of the Philistines come up with a surprising answer. Before you send it back, make peace with the God of Israel. Verse 3, if you return the ark of God of Israel, do not send it away empty. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed. And you'll know why his hand has not been lifted from you. What guilt offering should we send? I'm not sure what you think is an appropriate sacrifice. Here's what they thought. Make five gold tumours and five gold rats according to the number of Philistine rulers because the same plague has struck both of you and your rulers. Now that's what you were thinking you would have done, isn't it? We get a little insight into how the uh, spirituality of the ancient world works here. They saw the fruit of the justice, a plague had broken out, the tumours of the people. So let's make symbols in gold to recognise that, that maybe, and in verse 5 it says this, perhaps the God of Israel will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. It's a surprising thought. Here it is. Make peace with God. And you'll notice that they try and do that on their own terms. Five gold tumours, five gold rats, one for each of the five city walled cities of the uh, people of the Philistines in Philistia. There's an irony here. The Philistines understand that they need to make peace with the God of Israel in a way that God's own people didn't understand in chapter 4. And we also see that they had learnt a lesson from the Exodus and Egypt. That had happened a couple of hundred years earlier. Moses uh, saw Egypt come under the plagues of God And that story had been heard by the people of of Philistia. And so the wise men of the Philistines say, don't be like Egypt. Don't harden your hearts. We saw what happens when you do that. Instead, make peace with God and offer a guilt offering. Look in verse 6. Why do you harden your hearts as Egypt, Egyptians and Pharaoh did? He treated them harshly. Did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? And we come back to our question then. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? It was the instinct 
of the superstitious and super religious uh, wise men of Philistines to go and make peace with the God of Israel. It's intriguing to think that there was sufficient enough fear of the Lord that they sought his mercy. We heard how it worked out. Uh, They still wanted to test if this was Yahweh at work. So they put two cows together, hitched the cart on it, put the ark on the cart and put the golden offerings on the cart. And if it was going to be the Lord's, he would lead it back to Israel. And in the back half of chapter 6, verses 13 to 7 too, the glory of the Lord returns. Beth Shemesh was on the southern border. Have a look at your maps to see where all these places are. And in a surprising way, two cows hitched with a frame came up over the hill and the residents of Beth Shemesh rejoiced. They rejoiced at what they saw. The Ark of the Covenant had returned. So they uh, broke up the cart, sacrificed the cows and made an offering to the Lord. And in verse 15, we see that it's the Levites, those who were assigned by God, to care for the ark, came and looked after its, uh, looked after the ark, and they took the golden objects that had been a guilt offering. Uh, just for a moment, verse six brings the story of the Philistines to an end, but they're going to appear again, aren't they? Five rulers of the Philistines saw all this, and they returned that same day to Ekron. And the people of Beth Shemesh set up a rock of witness uh, to testify that the glory of the Lord had returned, that God was holy and sovereign in his power, lest we forget. Like a a memorial on Anzac Day or uh, the Last Supper remembering the death of Jesus, a rock was set up to say this was the day that the glory of the Lord returned in the symbol of the ark, the symbol of God's presence. But even then, did you notice in verse 19 and 20, there's another moment where God's people took the ark for granted and another 70 people are struck down because they touched the ark and look into the ark. They didn't take the holiness of God seriously. So the men of Beth Shemesh ask our question that we've been asking Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? And so uh, the ark moves out of Beth Shemesh and will stay for 20 years up the road. And if you want to know how it moves on, you've got to keep reading Samuel and join us probably for season two next year. Let me stand back from what we've been thinking. Two chapters, lots of interesting historical and theological things to wrestle with here, but I just want to leave you with three things that are implications for us. Three reminders. Our God is a holy God and a sovereign God and is in control of all things. It's an unusual story from many angles. But here's the reminder for us, the God who is holy and sovereign then is the God who is holy and sovereign now. 
So we must not be deceived by the spirit of the age that has many roads to God or no God at all. We've seen that in the days of Samuel, God was holy and in control and he brought justice to those who opposed him. In our day, he continues to be holy, but he has come to us in the person of his son, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? No one is the answer. Which brings us to the second thing I want you to notice. The appropriate sacrifice is Jesus. It's not gold, tumours and rats as the uh, Philistines approached God on their terms and not God's terms. God has come to us in his son Jesus Uh, and there's many passages in the New Testament that I can show you but I want to especially read from just one Hebrews 9 26 to 28. Jesus has appeared for us once and for all at the great culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The Philistines came with their guilt offering of gold, rats and tumours. But this passage reminds us that the appropriate sacrifice for us, enabling us to approach our holy God with confidence and peace, is Jesus. And so the holiness of God expressing itself in 1 Samuel 5 and 6 points us to the provision that God has made to open up the way to him afresh through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. The third thing I want you to see by way of implication is this. God is king and you are not. We wrestle to take control of the throne of our life. Uh, The events of 1 Samuel 5 and 6, though they seem a little strange and foreign, Remind us that he is king. The Lord fought his own battle against the Philistines. The Lord won his own victory. And the Lord established his own glory. And this is going to be an important truth for us to hold on when we get to the next part of 1 Samuel. Israel do not need a human king. Because God is king. And uh, as we see the quest for a leader unfold, we need to be reminded that God is king. And Jesus was raised to sit at his right hand. And we are not. So we worship him. If this uh, series was on Netflix, today is episode six, season one. And we're looking forward to the end of season one to see what happens next. And if you want to know what happens next, you've got to come back next week. Let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are holy and you are sovereign. 
Forgive us when we get complacent with that great truth. Humble us as we boldly approach your throne of grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remind us that we are not king, but you are, and the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.